Welcome to episode 100 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I knew this day would come. Two years ago, the very first episode was 000, and then 001, 002. What's significant about this? I've been working towards three digits, episode 100, since the very, very beginning. I'd heard that most shows didn't make it past seven episodes. Recently, I came across this specific stat. Between June 2005 and June 2015, a typical podcast ran for six months and 12 episodes at two episodes per month before going inactive. You heard right, just 12 episodes over a six-month period and then show's over. Which is why I started with three placeholders for each episode number. I also invested in quality equipment and committed to an every Tuesday release date. Mindset is so important to achieve big goals. On a related note, I keep referring to the book I released last year as my first book because I'm committed to there being more books in the future. And saying first book keeps people asking about my other books, which keeps them front of mind and increases the likelihood that I'll actually make them happen. Your challenge for this week, think about a big goal you have. How can you apply what I've described here to help you meet your goal? How can you shift your mindset so you can clearly commit to meeting your goals? What is your episode 000 or first book? Language is so powerful. Choose your words carefully and then let me know what you're committing to. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest is one of the world's leading experts on business networking. He was called the father of modern networking by CNN and one of the top networking experts by Forbes. He's a keynote speaker for major corporations and associations around the world and has written 22 books about various topics like networking, marketing, and achieving success in business and life. He has been named Humanitarian of the Year by the Red Cross and was recently the recipient of the John C. Maxwell Leadership Award. Currently, he is the founder and chief visionary of BNI, the world's largest business networking organization, which he founded in 1985 and now has 8,350 chapters in 71 countries. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Ivan Meisner. Hi, Robbie. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Oh, Dr. Meisner, thank you so much for joining me from your office in Austin, Texas. I just want to jump right in and ask you about uh, sort of when you uh, first realized you had the skills to lead, and in particular, how do you define leadership? How, like, how do you think about that word, and when did it start to dawn on you that maybe, maybe that word could be applied to who you are? Yeah, so, Robbie, please call me Ivan uh, um, throughout the interview, if, if, if you're willing. Um, so, how, how would I define leadership? Well, you know, when one person is willing to follow you, you're a leader. So, it, 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 to <laughs> me, it's reasonably simple. Um, it's, it, the question's a good one. To me, I think, um, in addition to what I've said, it's really about encouraging people to achieve goals, whatever that is. A leader's 
primary function is to encourage others to achieve those goals. Um, you know, I, I found out pretty quickly as a young man that um, fascism is not a good leadership style. <laughs> uh, you know, you telling people what to do um, generally in the long term is not, um, is not going to work, but encouraging them and assisting them, coaching them, mentoring them uh, is the way to do it. And for me, I started, I really started down that path in high school in um, student council. Mm. Uh, I was sort of guided and coached by some teachers who uh, felt that for whatever reason, they felt that I would be good in that. And they kind of guided me in that direction. And uh, I embraced it wholeheartedly. I really, really enjoyed student council and student leadership in high school. Well, do you think that they saw the potential in you based on sort of how you were in a classroom or were you the kid organizing everyone on the playground? You know, like how, what do they see in you to like, and, and how did you realize, yeah, I, I really think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step into this. Well, yes. So the story behind that is really connected to what I call uh, one's emotionally charged connection. Uh, this whole thing in student council is my emotionally charged connection. And the, an ECC um, is really the heart of why you do the things you do in life. And so if we all sit down and think back to something that happened to us in childhood or, you know, early teenager, um, we can come to a, a nexus point, a point in our lives where something significant happened and it really changed the direction of our life. And it could be something positive. It could be something negative. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for me, it ended up being a, a positive thing that happened, uh, but it started very negative. When I was in junior high school, I um, ran for student council uh, twice and lost badly. (laughs) I didn't just lose. I was dead last. And the second time around, I was kind of the laughing stock of the, of the school. And um, so when I was a freshman in high school, I was like, you know, been there, done that. I don't want to do that again. That was embarrassing. And um, the difference in high school though, is when you start as a freshman, uh, all of the sophomores, juniors, and seniors were selected the previous year, but as a freshman, you were at a different school. So they picked the freshman student council at the freshman uh, uh, history class. And the teacher there, and this is this, I, I've written about this in a book I wrote called Avoiding the Networking Disconnect. And I, it's called Ivan's Why. This is why I do what I do. Uh, I had a, uh, the teacher in the class said, um, you know, we're going to do student council election. Uh, uh, it's open to nominations who would like to nominate someone and no one (laughs) nominated anyone. And uh, he said, well, if you don't nominate someone, I get to pick. And so we even had a a cheerleader. I remember her name, Cynthia. Cynthia stood up and said, Oh, Mr. Romero, you know, I'm, I'm so busy. I don't have time to run, but thank you. And he's like, Okay, Cynthia, thank you. Uh, (laughs) Is there anyone who's interested? And I would not raise my hand. And he said, okay. So if no one's interested, I get to pick. Are you all good with that? And everyone was like, yeah, yeah, fine, pick. We don't care. And he looked around the room. And to this day, Robbie, which is the heart of your question, to this day, I don't exactly know what he saw in me or why. But he looked at me and he said, Ivan, I bet you'd like to do this, wouldn't you? Uh, I'd only been in his class for two weeks. And I was like, well, yeah, Mr. Romero, I, I really, really would like to do this. And he said, okay, you're our student council representative. Robbie, I swear to you, 
everyone in that class said, oh, no, not Ivan. Anybody but Ivan. And I remember sitting there thinking, really? Like, you guys see me here, right? And, and, you know, today it's easy to look back as a reasonably successful businessman with um, having written many books, best best, uh, New York Times bestsellers, uh, you know, 71 countries. It's it's easy to look back and 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 see where I have come, but at that moment, it was a very raw moment where yeah. I had no idea where I would go in my life, no idea what would happen to right. me. And um, and Mr. Romero, God bless him. He, you know, everybody was like, no, no. And he said, look, you gave me the authority to pick. I picked. Ivan's it. Turn to chapter two, page one. Wow. And, um, and I remember so clearly, Robbie, thinking, uh, I, I am, I'm not going to blow this. Yeah, you wanted to almost prove, right, <laughs> like that you were worthy of the appointment. <laughs> that is exactly right. And I knocked myself out in that role. Uh-huh. I loved it. I enjoyed it. And that same class elected the sophomore mm. representative at the end of the year. And that same class that said, oh, no, not Ivan, voted for me to be the sophomore representative. I ended up being in student council for four years, uh, last year as ASB president. And it absolutely changed my my direction uh, and gave me an unbelievable amount of confidence. And, and, And here's where it's connected to my emotionally charged connection. I realized just a few years ago that everything I have done in business has been to sort of relive that situation. Huh. And that my business, certainly B&I, is about helping people be their best. I can't make anyone successful in business. I can't, mm-hmm. I, I can't do it for them. But I can give them the opportunity to be successful. And I can give them the tools to be successful. And that's really what Mr. Romero did for me. And it, it impacted me in a way that I wasn't even conscious of for decades. Uh, I mean, it was a great story, but I wasn't conscious that that would be really, that, that's in a way I'm reliving, my, my business relives yeah. that. Uh, Have so you had a chance to reach back out to Mr. Romero? and? and so there, there are three teachers that made a big difference in my life. Um, he's one of the three. And I, I've been able to find the other two. I actually hired a private investigator. <laughs> I did. And even the private investigator investigator was unable to, Wow. Uh, track down uh, Mr. Romero. So if anybody here knows a Frank Romero that uh, taught at Gladstone High School in 1970, 71. Um, wow. Let me know because I've been trying to find him. That's a, it's such a good story too because you you had tried and failed to the point where you probably were never going to try again. Nope, that's right. You're and, absolutely correct. And in some ways you were given this opportunity and needed to prove yourself because you were sort of being almost you know, tease mercifully, like no one, no one wanted you to actually have the role. <laughs> you know how kids are. They're yeah, really- yeah, it's rough. You know, you're making me think of this emotionally charged, it's ECC, emotionally charged. Connection. Connection. So I recently realized in the last few years that mine is actually, uh, goes back to camp. Um, okay. and, and how old were you? Oh, 11 or so. That's, that's, that's yeah, the area. Yeah. 11 or so. Yeah. And the reason I had to think about this is that I am an, um, uh, an outgoing extrovert and most of my clients are not. Actually, none of my clients are both those things. Some are outgoing yeah. and some are extroverts, but none of them are outgoing extroverts. They're all 
more shy and more in, and or more introverted. And so I could never start, you know, the, the piece of business where you say, oh, I was just like you, right. <laughs> you know, and then I found the one thing and now I'm going to teach. I could never say that. Right. But I realized that I know what it feels like to be left out and to feel like I didn't belong. Right. And I could date back to a moment where I went up to a group of campers standing in one of those circles and they just probably never even noticed that I was there, but I felt like they were excluding me. Right. I mean, in reality, they probably didn't actively do it, you know, right. but it's that over imagination that of a child. Yeah. So I've been hosting events my whole life to be sure that I had somewhere to go and I could invite and welcome others to join me. Yeah, and that's that been makes sense. Yeah. And so it's, I love this emotionally charged connection. It's so I think everyone listening should really think about what is the thing that is sort of carried with you. It's very healing in a way too, to like have that be a, a big centerpiece of the work that you do in the world because it, you know, you're being true to yourself and you're able to help people who are also having a, a similar experience at some point in their life. And yeah, some who didn't have the opportunity. It was a real epiphany uh, for me. Um, I, um, I, 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 one of the companies that I started over the years is a company called Ascentive, A-S-E-N-T-I-V. And one of the coaches with Ascentive was the one that taught me this um, um, concept of emotionally charged connection. And, and, you know, I went back to how I started BNI and they were like, no, 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 go back further, go, go mm. way back further. And they were right. It, it really um, is something that happens when you're a young person maybe prior to being a teenager or early teenager. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for that. Cause I, I think it's helpful to have language even to think about all, all this work and, and, and sharing like how you learned it even. So I would love to hear more about sort of what you do today, but the way I want to ask it is what do you find most rewarding about what you've, where you are today? Like you've accomplished so much. So I'm just curious, you know, how, how, what are the moments that sort of really stand out to you as being the most rewarding? Well, I think the most rewarding things to me um, is when I'm speaking, most of what I do today is writing and speaking, doing interviews like this. But when I'm talking to an audience, particularly uh, in person, and I see the light bulb go on, you just, you can feel it in an audience. I spoke to an audience of about a thousand people um, over the weekend and it was palpable. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you you can just see an audience start nodding and being excited. And then when you step down and people just line up to tell you their story and to talk to you, um, that to me is the most rewarding thing yeah. is making making a little difference. I, I've always believed that, that I as an individual may not be able to make a world of difference, but I can make a difference in the world. Mm. And you do that one person at a time. Well, I, I can attest to the profound impact you've had because I've, I've let it be known here and there that this interview is, was happening. And I just sort of said it in the course of life, but people would stop everything they were doing to tell me their story in relation to how you've impacted them. And then I realized that was happening. So I started to invite that to happen. And I just spoke to someone earlier today. It was a random connection. You know, we were doing a video chat. I brought it up. She says, Oh, I've been doing BNI for 12 years. Let me tell you my story. And it just, it was very profound how everyone sort of can, can sort of pinpoint their success. Yeah. Now I have to say, I've also met people who haven't found it successful. And I now yeah. realized it's because they're so transactional in their focus. Well, now that's a great point. And I'd love I to I didn't talk realize about- that for a long time. I really, I almost thought it was the organization, but the more I understand your 
you givers get and givers, givers, givers gain, gain, givers gain, and just philosophy, which I'm so in line with. I realize the people for whom it doesn't work, they want it to happen quick and easy with yes. no effort. Yes. It's, you know, BNI in a way is sort of like um, a gym membership. You know, you can get the gym membership, but if you don't actually go to the gym and work out, then the gym membership does you no good. Uh, the other piece of it is the transactional uh, focus because people will go to a BNI meeting, but they're very transactional. Now, um, th- that's definitely not the way to build your business through networking. Mm-hmm. Networking is more about farming than it is about hunting. It's about cultivating relationships with other business professionals. And I think that uh, is so important. I did a, a, a survey of 12,000 people a few years ago. It ended up being in a, a, a book. Uh, the, now, the, the book has an unusual title, but um, it, well, the, the title of the book is uh, Business Networking and Sex, Not What You Think. Uh, and, and the parenthetical <laughs> comment is part of it, not what you think. It's about the difference between men and women and how they network. Uh-huh. One of the things we discovered when we surveyed 12,000 people is that women tended to be more successful at networking than men did, and that women were more relational than men were. Men tended to be more transactional. Now, when we blended the genders together to look at the data, we found that men and women who were more relational generated more business through networking than men and women who were transactional. And this is based on a survey of 12,000 people and not just BNI members, it was open to the public. So you hit the nail right on the head. Mm-hmm. Networking is all about building relationships. Not I'm so glad. Transactions. I'm so glad you brought up that book because um, I work with entrepreneurial women and um, I actually got hired to speak about ne- uh, networking at a women's leadership conference. And in the course of talking to the client uh, in preparation, she said, women are not good at networking. And I just sort of was like, oh, okay, tell me a little more, you know, because <laughs> you don't want to disagree with the client outright. And she says, well, you know, men are just, just gravitate towards talking about business and exchanging business cards. I said, yeah. okay, sure. Transactional networking, sure. But, you know, at its core, relationship building is about helping. It's about, right. you know, building connections, sharing resources, offering support. I'm like, do you know any women who are good at helping? And she said, well, yeah. I said, great. <laughs> you know, those skills that you, you probably are excelling at are just so directly connected to building great connections and building relationships. And she was like, I never thought of that. And people think of networking as a, as a very transactional process. You know, mm-hmm. here's my name, rank, serial number, <laughs> business. And um, that really, as a matter of fact, I did another survey of the top characteristics of a great networker. Mm. And, you know, of the top characteristics of a great networker, um, being direct, asking for the sale, asking for business, those things ended up at the bottom of the list, the bottom Uh things that ended up at the top were good listener, positive attitude, ability to follow up all things that have nothing to do with being an extrovert. Yeah. uh, and, And mostly things to do with people being relational versus transactional. So here's a great example because men still have a hard time with this. Right, men still roll. What's the difference? I, and I had one guy once say to me, "Well, define, describe this. What? How? <laughs> you're at a networking meeting. What is relational?" Mm-hmm. And so here's here's a great story, true story. I was standing with a man and a woman, and we were having a conversation. And up walked a second woman, and she stepped into our s- s- semicircle. And um, the two women 
uh, first started to talk and the woman who was already in the circle said to the new woman, um, you know, hi, it's great to have you here. How did you hear about tonight's event? Mm-hmm. Not what business are you in, mm-hmm. but how did you hear about tonight's event? And the first, and the second woman said, well, my friend Sally invited me to tonight's event. And the first woman was like, Sally, you know, Sally, I know Sally too. How do you know Sally? Now I look over to the guy. Uh-huh. The guy is standing there and his eyes are rolling up in the back of his head, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, bleed me out now. Yeah. Who cares about Sally? We're <laughs> here to do business. <laughs> and I observed yep. that difference between transaction and relational right there. That's, That's so great. a great example of how women can be better at that relational process than men can. Although men can be great at it, but it, it's, it's a little bit of a trained skill. Yeah, I that that opening question she had is actually the one I use. Like, I don't even think about it anymore. It's like yeah. my default. It's um, a good one. Now, I'll yeah. tell you where the women um, said they had challenges. Mm. Asking for the sale. Mm-hmm. Now, not all women and not all men do what I'm right, talking right, about. But I interviewed 12,000 people. When you interview sure. 12,000 people, you start to get some patterns. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you go, I'm not like that. Well, this isn't about you. This is about <laughs> the average man, the average woman. And what we found was the women were saying, yeah, I could be better at asking for the sale. I build a relationship, then I don't ask for the sale. The men ask for the sale, but they're not always as good about building the relationship. Mm-hmm. This is so great. And I and I, I think that as people realize that the skills that they already have apply to what we call networking, yeah. then they might approach events differently. My book uh, is called Poissons Versus Bagels strategic, yeah. effective, and inclusive networking at conferences. And it actually kind of gets at that piece you were just describing where you're standing in those little circles. So that the tight circles at these events that are impossible to break into are the bagels. But if someone opens up their body language to join, let other, people's, let other people join, yeah. that's the croissant. And just even having that mindset of having open body language, right? It's like, right. I first started talking about that probably about eight or 10 years ago. I, talk, I call them open twos and open threes. Open twos so, and open you threes. Know, um, a, a closed two would be two people standing perpendicular to each other, sure. whereas an open two would sort of look like a V. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, a, a closed three sort of looks like a triangle and an open three would look like a U. So the more you can stand in these open stances... Uh, yeah. The more, the easier it is for people to step in and join the conversation. It's a very simple but um, significant technique to apply to your networking because you, if you do that, you'll be shocked at how quickly the circle grows. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious then, how did you first sort of come to to these? I mean, you, you it, it's. There's one thing to do it and another one to be able to teach it and write about it and speak about it. So when did you first develop sort of this awareness? And then when did you start figuring out ways to sort of share it? Well, I wrote my first book in 1987 on networking. And um, it it was probably the first book. It's the first book I was ever. There were no books on networking when I wrote that. Mm -hmm. Um, It, it, what I found was in, in going putting together BNI and BNI is a referral organization. We get together every week. I observe, I observed what worked and what didn't work. And what I tried to do is write down everything that I thought worked. And I even wrote down some of the things that didn't work um, so that, you know, I could get people to not do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you just write everything down and that's what ended up really becoming articles, which ended up becoming books mm-hmm. uh, on, on how to network effectively. So, you know, if you're trying to, 
if you're trying to learn something and then especially teach it, which I needed to do, you got to write it all down, observe and write. Mm -hmm. That's great. So what was challenging in the process of all this? It sounds like you you found a winning formula, you know, uh, uh, you've created a a movement and a network that everyone who's part of it benefits and and can contribute to. uh, So it's well beyond you. Yeah, but, well beyond. We have so, 230,000 members worldwide. Which is amazing. That's like the biggest sort of uh, success in some ways is for it to not be about you. Um, but what was sort of the biggest challenge? And, and was it was it mindset? Was it uh, a, a skill that you needed to learn? You know, was there like some other roadblock? Like, you know, you had a great idea and you knew you wanted to grow it. But what was getting in your way of making that happen? Or was it just smooth sailing? <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. No, 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 no. It was lots of bumps, lots of bumps. Um, so, you know, from a networking perspective, it was, I was learning as I went because we don't teach this in colleges and universities anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not taught. And so I had to, you know, learn and observe, observe and write. Uh, but from a business perspective, it really began with understanding the importance of collaborating. Because I created some, I created the organization and I created the policies that went with the organization. And it turns out some of them were really stupid policies that just didn't work well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I discovered that as I went along. And rather than just try to rewrite them, probably one of the biggest roadblocks I ran into in the beginning was something that I did in the way I set up BNI. And it would never be able to scale based on the way I did it. It was the way I did the marketing revenues. And I knew it had to change, but I, I didn't want to just, I didn't want to just experiment in the mid, in the middle of doing it. Uh, so I, I put together a task force made up of leading members, mm. the, the what we call the leadership teams of the chapters, and I got them all together. Uh, invited uh, twenty, and about fourteen or fifteen came, and I laid out the problem, and we we mm. brainstormed it. Uh, I had a couple of suggestions. They ran with it. But here's the beauty is that they came up with, with, with my, my guidance and coaching, they came up with a solution that was beautiful, yeah. but very difficult to implement because I would have to go in and tell all the chapters that we made this change and they would be really mad. Mm. And they said, well, you can't go in and tell them that. Let us do it. Brilliant. Because if we go in, we're members. They're not going to get. They're not going to get nearly as mad at us as they would at you. And I was like, "Wow, that that is brilliant." Mm-hmm. And um, and so they they went to the chapters. They made the changes, and that enabled the company to scale. So I think one of the biggest hurdles I ran into early on was making a mistake, and then getting my team together to help me work through the problem and and give them ownership of helping to solve the problem. Um, yeah. Had I not done that in 1985, uh, well, really, it was like the beginning of 86, the organization would not be around today. That's amazing because, you know, you did the thing that was hard, which is admitting your own, like, shortcoming in that moment, knew that there was a change that had to be made. You invited in input from others who had real investment in the outcome. And then they, it's funny because I think the best leadership is when you let other people come to the realization that there's something they should do that you, you were hoping they were going to come to anyway, but it's their idea. <laughs> so well, they you then- got, You're absolutely right. You got to make it their idea. So here's, here's I'll, tell, I'll give you a little more detail because I was talking about the, I had to get the marketing fund together. And so I actually 
took a mortgage out of my house. Wow. Small mortgage. And um, it was like a line of credit mortgage. And I went out and bought all the marketing materials that I thought would be a good idea. Yeah. And we took a look at how we were doing the marketing and everyone agreed the way it was being done wasn't working. Mm. And it just took one person to say, what we really need to do is centralize the effort. And boom, as soon as I got that comment, I said, you know, I agree. What do you guys think of this material? And then I just brought out these materials. <laughs> and I showed it to them and they're like, this is it. This is what you need to be doing. And, and, and so, and then they offered to, to take that to the chapters. And, and I never forget one of them said, well, um, can we take, do you have more material? And uh-huh. I like closet and brought out boxes and boxes, right, and boxes right, right. of material. And they're like, oh yeah, this will go over great. So they didn't just go and make an announcement. They went with boxes of content yeah. so that the change could take place very easily. So yeah, so, you know, diplomacy, as a matter of fact, this was given to me by my mom when I was like, I don't know, 13 or 14 years old. Diplomacy is the art of letting someone else have your way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, coaching it. And sometimes you try to go in your direction and it doesn't work. But other, other times, if you've got, if you really thought it through, you can help coach things in a direction. I tell you, the fact, it's very telling, Ivan, that your mom got you a rock <laughs> <laughs> engraved with that particular saying when you were yeah. 13 years old. Yeah. <laughs> she saw something in you and knew that she if did. you... You handled it quite right. At that age, my mother was actually teaching me that uh, at the time we called them secretaries. Secretaries yeah. ran the world. And yeah. she was explaining to me how if you, know, if you know their names and their kids' names and their pets' names, they'll get you on an appointment with everybody. And I was using my high school you know, yeah. admin administration that way and, and making all kinds of great changes. Well, listen, um, your mother was absolutely correct. <laughs> and, uh, it still is today. And I've had some amazing experiences by you know not being able to go through the the, the person that I wanted to get to, but through the assistance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, you have uh, amassed quite an array of people in your life, and I'm always curious. Yeah. How um, how someone who thinks so much about building connections and building relations, how are you nurturing not your closest circle or even like that next layer out? Like I think of the, you know, my closest friends and there's like the prospects or past clients sort of circle. How are you nurturing that sort of third layer out of people that you meet and you get along with, but you don't really have any business with that are not, you know, there's no direct connection or ask, but you like them and you're like, okay, I want to make sure that I don't like completely lose touch with them and then only reach out when I have a book. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Do you have any practices or habits or, yeah? Well, you know, the, the thing is, and, and it sometimes surprises people to hear the founder of the world's largest face-to-face network say that uh, social media is a powerful tool, uh, but it is a powerful tool and it's one that I use regularly. Um, and so those people that I may not be able to meet with regularly, I use social media as a, as a touch point. So, you know, you can just connect with people um, very easily, either, you know, through Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and stay connected with them. Mm -hmm. But if you really want to go, I mean, if you want a a powerful network, um, it must be not only wide, but deep in some places. Mm -hmm. Every person you meet can't be a deep connection, 
mm-hmm. you do need to have some deep connections. Uh, and and so if your you know if your network is a mile wide and an inch deep, it'll never be powerful. Right. And, and so you have to have those people that you really want to stay t- in touch with, and and you got to connect with them regularly. Uh, I mean, just just today, I I set up a, a call with a, a person who has become a really good friend, but I haven't seen him in. I probably haven't seen him face to face in five years or more, but we stay in touch. Yeah. We email each other, we call each other. And so you got to, nothing ruins a relationship. Well, certainly bad behavior ruins a relationship fast, but one of the fastest ways to ruin a relationship is benign neglect. Mm. We just neglect to stay connected with that person. And we've all had, I'm, I'm sure everyone listening to this has, has a, a friend in their mind that they can think of that they really liked. And just for some reason over time, that friendship has faded away. They don't even right. know where the person is now. Yeah. And that's what happens with benign neglect. And so you don't want that to happen to people that you think um, it, it's good to ha- can have a continued relationship with. So one of my other uh, guests in the show was Susan Rowan. Oh, Susan other... Rowan. I love Susan Rowan. Yeah. She's a close friend. And, yeah. um, and it, it, there are probably only a couple of other people in the world that I would highly recommend as a keynote speaker on networking, and she's one of them. Yeah, and she came on, and this, I, this comes up a lot. I share this. Um, her, her hey calls, which is, um, she says, make, uh, is there, how are you calls? So... When, when you're just kind of walking and it's a nice day, you know, you just do a hey call, a how are you call. And it's just so simple. And I, I always tease people that they've forgotten that the device in their pocket actually makes phone calls. <laughs> well, you know what, Robbie? It's been probably a year since I did a how are you call with uh, Susan. So when we end this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give her a call and tell her. <laughs> <you're okay. laughs> That's great. That's great. I, I uh, was fortunate to meet her. And uh, when I'm out in the Bay Area, we have a chance to connect and uh, see each other there as well as at the, uh, the National Speakers Association conference every year. She's good people. And another person who was writing books 30 years ago on networking, which is, you know, not many people, like you said, were really thinking about this as a topic and uh, building up, you know, a lot of credibility in this space, which is why it's so great to speak to you and her because longevity is something that I, you can't ask for, you have to earn. And yeah, and Susan's got it. Her first, I think it was her first book, How to Work a Room. Yeah. It's second edition. It's a wonderful book. Yeah, 25th anniversary just passed a couple of years ago, which is remarkable. Yeah, really silver, is. silver edition. So um, I'm I'm following your footsteps. Got book one done. Book two's already planned. Book three's in the works. You know, it's like you're not really. It feels like yeah, I published a book. I want to be an author though. I have to keep going, right? <laughs> so um, do you when you're traveling? Do you ever like organize dinners? Is that one of your methods or like? Because so I know that you're so value the face to face, like. Do you find a way to work that into your sort of daily habits and routine? Well, certainly when I travel, I meet face-to-face with uh, many, many, many BNI members and directors. Um, so, y- yes, and I am on the road some, uh, oftentimes um, every other week. Um, wow. So, yeah, I, I, I do a lot of travel, and it's all face-to-face stuff. Um, yeah, but although Skype has been fantastic, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, it does flatten – Technology flattens the communication hierarchy. It enables people to uh, communicate in uh, ways that we couldn't communicate. You know, when I certainly when I started BNI many years ago. Yeah, yeah. My father once said to me that the fax machine was the best invention ever. 
for his, for, you know, back in the day, it was like this big leap forward. Uh, he had worked in a, in a factory that had blueprints and every small change, you had to mail it, put it in a tube and send it through FedEx. Yeah. <laughs> and then one day there was a fax machine and you could just send yeah. a note and they'd get it in seconds. Yeah. Um, you know, and he couldn't, he couldn't at the end have envisioned what we have today. Um, but the leaps forward have been amazing. And I think people have to realize that a lot of the same pr- best practices for face-to-face apply online and vice versa. You yes. know, really separate worlds. We, we sometimes think of it that way, but there is sort of a, a person that's you. <laughs> and yeah. then you bring yourself to these spaces. I, so this is, we're getting towards the end. And I, I have this question about um, building diverse networks, which uh, is the topic of my next book. And I, and I want to really understand from your perspective, um, what value is there in, in investing energy to trying to diversify your professional network? Um, it's clear that you've done that. And I'm wondering whether it was intentional and is it conscious? Like, you know, how, how have you made sure that you're not just surrounded by people who have, you know, the same life experience, the same education, same all the rest? And, and why? Why have you done that? So I, I, I wrote about this very topic in uh, my latest book, uh, Networking Like a Pro. And, and I, in there I say, uh, networks are by nature clumpy. That, that's the technical term. I love it. <laughs> um, we tend to hang out with people like ourselves because we feel more comfortable with pe- people like ourselves. So uh, imagine, you know, uh, clusters of people. And so we, we tend to hang out with the people within that cluster. However, um, and this is where diversity is really important. And I think the average person just does not get this. If you have someone who's different than you in your network, they are a connector mm-hmm. to another clump or to another cluster of people. So the more cluster, the more connectors you have, the more diverse your network, the more connectors you have to other clusters of people. So diversity is key in building a powerful personal network. And what tends to happen is that we as people tend to surround ourselves with people that are just like us mm-hmm. or that we feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And so diversity in all kinds, I mean, we think of ethnicity as right. diversity and, and clearly that's a big one, but uh, also gender age, age is really important. Mm-hmm. You know, you get you, you young guys, it's good to have an old guy like me uh, in on it and vice <laughs> versa. It's good for me to have some yeah. old in my personal network, uh, but also socioeconomic background. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, that can actually add a lot to your, sure. to your network. Um, you know, education, um, you know, all kinds of different things. The more diverse your network, the more powerful it is. No question about it. And I wonder um, what would propel someone who wasn't thinking that way to adapt that attitude. Do you, do you find that you've had much success helping people have that light bulb turn on? Yes, yeah, I have because I, I talked to them about the butterfly effect of networking mm. and the butterfly effect of networking. Well, the butterfly effect is part of chaos theory, which is in the field of mathematics that says the flapping of the wings of a butterfly cause some minute thing in the, in the environment that causes something else that causes something else that causes something else that changes the weather. And so what I have found is that um, the butterfly effect applies to networking. One contact you make here can lead to something that leads 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 to something amazing. I first wrote about this in, um, on my blog, uh, Ivanmeisner.com. If you go back to September, 2007, Mm. you'll see 
uh, a connection that somebody, uh, it was a solopreneur coach that asked me for a favor that led to another contact that led to a contact that led to a contact that, that finally led to an invitation to a week on Necker Island with Richard Branson. Wow. And that all started with a solopreneur business coach. Yeah. Um, and so I tell people, don't, don't look your nose down on, <laughs> on good connections. The only thing you should be saying no to in terms of connections are people who don't, don't fit your values as a person or they're not good at what they do. Otherwise, if they're good at what they do and they have the kind of values that are congruent with yours, then you should be building relationships with, with everyone. Yeah, I mean, I, not everyone, but many people of different yeah, perspectives. I love it. I just actually, you're having me. I'm having like a flashback uh, again to high school. I started a recycling program because there yeah. wasn't one. And you know who helped me the most? It was two people: the superintendent, who at the time when I first met him was the assistant superintendent, and I impressed him by pouring him a cup of coffee and offering him a bagel on a on a lobby day trip. <laughs> and that's how I got to meet him at five in the morning. Uh, and the other one was the head, uh, the head janitorial staff member. Okay. Um, because clearly if you don't have them on your side, you're not going to change this whole you know, program. You're absolutely and right. I got letters of recommendation from both of them for college. <laughs> and I thought nobody else is probably asking these two people. <laughs> probably right. Especially the janitor, which right. I think is actually brilliant because it shows the diversity of the connections you have. I never really thought about it, man. I, it's so great to see the origin stories sometimes that like the beliefs that you have and, and how it sort of grows around you. Um, I, I'd love to know kind of what your vision is for the next year. I mean, uh, you know, when we have a chance to connect again, I want to reach out to you a year from yeah. now. I want to be celebrating all of your successes. And I, yeah. what are we going to be toasting at that time? Well, I think an entrepreneur is either working in their flame or working in their wax. And when they're in their flame, they're on fire, they're excited, they love what they're doing and they're passionate about it. You can see it in the way they act, you can hear it in their voice. When they're working in their wax, it takes all their energy away. Mm -hmm. You can hear it in the way they talk, you can see it in the way they behave. So for me, my, my flame is this, Robbie. It's, it's having a chance to do interviews, it's talking about networking, it's talking about how, how someone can be successful in business and in life. Yeah. Um, that's my flame, writing, speaking. And so uh, I have, I'm in the midst and pretty much made the transition now in BNI where uh, that's my entire role. I'm, nice. I'm now basically the Colonel Sanders of BNI. <laughs> so I'm the face and brand advocate of BNI and of business networking. And um, and so if, if a year from now I don't tell you it's been the best year of my professional career, I, I will be disappointed. Yeah, because you got it's great that you've been able to position this and, and be working in the ways you want to be working because there is a point where entrepreneurs well often are really driven. To, to try new things. And you know, that's part of being an entrepreneur. And the actual day-to-day can be maybe not their best. <laughs> Look, it, so, it, 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 a lot of things people. became my wax, that day-to-day yeah. became my wax. Yeah, if I, I had to talk people. to another lawyer ever again for the rest of my life, I, I, I quit. It's just great because if you can find the people, you know, that that's their passion is to be the, the, the people who make it run. Right. Um, that's wonderful. And I think visionaries sometimes don't step out of the way soon enough to allow that to happen. 
and the yeah, team you're right. that you were really trying to build a team up around you as you were expanding, you know, you, you've done your work. Now you get to really enjoy the parts of it that are yours. This is just so exciting. I know that everyone listening is going to want to know, you know, how to find you and how to follow your work. What, what are some of the best ways to connect with you? So uh, certainly my blog, IvanMeisner.com, and uh, I'm, I'm most active on Facebook. So you can look up my public site. It's uh, Facebook.com slash IvanMeisner dot BNI Founder. So that's my public Facebook page. Uh, and, uh, you know, anyone who's interested in that book I was talking about, uh, Networking Like a Pro, second edition, just came out. And a lot of great content in there for, for people. That's great. We'll put links to all of that, uh, plus to all your Amazon books, because you've got so many to choose from. There's, there's gems in all of them. So dig in, people. Ivan, thank you so much for joining us on On The Schmooze. Robbie, uh, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it and love to come back again sometime. Awesome. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Ivan. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at onthechmooze.com. Look for episode 100, which is also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode with Ivan, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That is so awesome. I would love to read your review on iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.